mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 110 of the Interview Podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and we are powered by Audio Technica. This week on the show, we've got Mark Strait, a musical artist and sound designer. Mark's played in a whole lot of heavy metal bands until turning his eye towards the games industry where he has worked on a whole bunch of indie projects as well as doing some dialogue editing on Divinity Original Sin 2 with a particular interest in horror and fantasy. He was in the middle of a D&D session when we were doing the interview, so you might hear some rumblings in the background of warlocks and bards and whatever else happens at those events. But it was really cool to talk to Mark about his progression from heavy metal and being a musician to finding a way to apply that to the games industry and not just in music and soundtracks but also in you know these effects that we hear sound design creating the oral spells and some of those really awesome audible cues that we are so used to in games and probably don't think about where they come from he's also worked in sound design for haunted houses for a number of years so there's a lot of ways to apply this skill but he's also been hard at work on his own musical career composing and releasing a full album online last year, I Am Heaven, which has had more than 60,000 plays on Spotify. Really impressive stuff. Mark really is a multi-talented individual, so it's great to get that perspective and see how it all ties together with the works that he's a part of. If you're ever at a PAX event over in the US, there's a good chance that you'll run into Mark. I think he's on his way to GDC as we record this. So he's certainly a respected voice in the field of sound design as far as those conventions go. But to hear some of those stories right now, it is Mark Strait. Enjoy the show. Mark, thank you so much for joining me and stepping away from your D&D campaign. <laughs> Thanks for having me on here. That's all right. Um, so you reached out to me for this podcast. Usually it's like the other way around. I pitch guests on why they should come on my show. So maybe we should start off with you uh, giving a bit of a background about the work that you've done, what you're most proud of, some of the games you've been involved with, and what you've been excited about recently. Sure. My name is Mark Strait. I work on video games, and I'm also uh, I also make music. Just I make my own music, uh, basically. For most of the video games I worked on, most recently I worked on Divinity: Original Sin Two. Um, I did a little bit of vocal editing for that. Uh, Arcade Spirits. I also did vocal editing there. And I was the audio director for Undead Darlings. And I'm now working on a few games and animations that I can't talk about just yet. (laughs) Enticing. So it's composing, but you've also do some sound effects and sound design. Is that right? I have skills in every facet of audio for games, Mm -hmm. uh, except for programming, because it's a world that I don't have the brain space (laughs) for. Yeah, I guess uh, you, you can't do everything. Yeah, for sure. And was it League of Legends, I think I saw on your website, that you've uh, done some, some work on as well? I've done redesigns. So it was like, right. I've been, I'm a huge uh, fan of League of Legends. And um, okay. I've been a fan for about, I, I started playing during the beta. So so is that like the equivalent of doing like a cover of a song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so covering it was like, sound effects? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like get good at making those style of sound effects. So I yeah. like studied the ones that they do, and uh, it really helped me learn how to make magic spells better. So right, yeah, I would. It's great for for people that are trying to get into sound design to study MOBAs because at that point you have like isolated 
um, like really good isolated sound effects that you can see because you're only using one spell at a time and you can right. see the full animation of the spell and how it how it's supposed to flow ideally. So you have just great reference material just built into that game for you to experiment and kind of like hone your skills with. Hmm. It's interesting because I find Foley, like what's it called? Foley sound design really interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess the old way of doing things from the days of film and radio with, you know, banging the coconuts together and yeah. walking on the, the eggshells or whatever it is. So this is kind of like the modern version of that. And it's all, I guess, digital. So mm-hmm. is that like, what was your entry into this interest? So it was kind of we, it was kind of strange. I wanted to become a composer specifically for games, and whenever I first was introduced, I started doing a bunch of horror titles uh, for game jams. I worked, I did like Asylum Jam, which is a which was a Halloween game jam that is meant to be focused on ways to scare people without using mental health tropes, which is great. Right. Yeah. And. Um, I did a couple of games there and a couple other smaller game jams, and we always needed people to do sound effects. And I was like, if I can do both, that makes me more valuable. And also, it makes me a better composer because the weird stuff that I can do with like a regular sound, the weirder stuff I can do with like musical sounds. So it was kind of like I'm using one to better the other and vice versa. Um, so I started doing that and then I was approached to do a couple of mobile games for sound effects and voice editing. Um, the first one I got to work on was a game called hungry Hal, And it was like this infinite runner game of, uh, of a zombie trying to take down the city. <laughs> and, uh, that was like my first introduction to, uh, to really working on something that was like paid, and ever since then, I just started like trying to improve constantly. And also with that, trying to make sure that whenever I'm learning like new skills that I can figure out how to apply it to make myself better, like universally for my skill set. Okay. That's interesting. So your entry into games itself, was that through the indie scene and attending these kinds of game jams? Yeah. and meeting people like and for, and for our listeners who aren't familiar game jams are kind of like a, sh- a short period of time like 24 hours or 48 hours of developers coming together and creating games in just like a full-on marathon session isn't it yeah uh for asylum jam we had 48 hours to to make a horror game and that was uh that was interesting. <laughs> Is that what took you from just someone that had a passion for music into being able to apply that music to games? It was, uh, frankly, it was League of Legends. I didn't, I was in a bunch of heavy metal bands before I was uh, ever a composer for games. And I was always like, like, I just want to keep making heavy metal. But obviously, like, that doesn't pay the bills very much. And um, <laughs> And I've always played games. And whenever I was like working on, uh, when I was working on stuff, I just had like a day job and I was playing League of Legends and there was all these really cool characters and none of them had like music attached to them at all. This was before like the login screen for League of Legends had music. I was like, okay, well, let's make music for these characters since they don't have it right now. And that kind of turned into me being like, I wonder if I can just do this for games. 
And that set things in motion where I started experimenting with more digital digital synthesizers and um, VSTs, which are virtual instruments. So like mm-hmm. writing, making orchestra or like working with digital orchestra instruments to make these character themes and all that other stuff. And uh, I think like seven years later, I'm doing it at a professional level. So that's cool. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't think it was that bad of a career path. No. And so that seven years, I guess is probably the thing that I want to talk about now, because what, like what were the steps during that time that got you from having an interest in it to now being able to actually working on a game like divinity original sin in sound design? Yeah. So, uh, the process was just like, um, well, I started out just doing game jams and stuff like that. And then I also worked, uh, oddly enough, I worked on haunted houses. So like the mm. big scare houses that you would walk through and people would try to jump out and scare you. Um, like theme parks and yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I did music for those for a long time. Um, I've worked in those sorts of environments since I was about 12. So I've been like really, really used to it. And I started making music for them. Just because I, whenever I was just trying to get into video game music, I was like, this is an easy way to like take what I already know, which is how to scare people and take what I'm interested in, which is music and combine them. So I started working on that and that kind of beefed up my reel a whole lot and helped me learn better sound design. And that Mm. kept me improving on a reel. And it was after that, It was pretty much just like meeting with developers and finding out what their needs were and finding out how I could be useful for what they're trying to achieve. So if it was like, if they needed a composer, I was able to do that. Uh, For Undead Darlings, I was only hired to be the composer, but then afterwards the needs kept coming in like we need to make we need to make sound effects i don't know how to make out anime sound effects but i can learn so uh i started i started learning that and then it came to um we needed to have someone voice edit all of these uh characters because there's a bunch of characters that need that needed voice attention so i was brought like i said i can learn how to do that as well Uh, i was already versed in it a little bit but now i can do it at a at a very like clean fast professional capacity because mm. i did my best to learn it and just kind of like continuously like level up those skills <laughs> um yeah right so the entire process was just um making sure that when opportunity was presented to me i had enough preparation to be able to execute what was needed hmm and it sounds like, yeah, you've been able to just jump at every opportunity that comes up and, and yeah. that's been a way to challenge yourself, to force yourself to learn new skills and to, yeah, like develop your resume in some ways. Yeah. And I mean, Divinity uh, was a really like, it was, it was a crazy circumstance because I had just been, one of the games that I was working on just got canceled during development. And so I was like, I have an abundance of free time right now. Does anyone have anything that they're working on that they kind of need like overflow uh, from? So overflow is whenever someone just can't handle their current workload and needs to Mm. outsource it to somebody. 
And a friend of mine reached out to me and was like, hey, I got contacted by this company who's uh, helping, do, uh, helping do the voice editing for Divinity. They might have something uh, for you if you need it. And I reached out to them and uh, I got to edit part of the narrator uh, for Divinity. Right. I get to help do like the initial cut-ups and edits for that, which was really, really exciting. That is cool because that's such a big title in that yeah like in that genre and from the sounds of it you're quite into the the role-playing yeah genre <laughs> like the fact that you're you're doing D uh in the background as we speak <laughs> yeah it's i as soon as i like i found out that it was divinity i started freaking out because i was like i love this game so much already and uh the fact that i'm going to be able to be a part of it even at so- any capacity is like amazing to me mm, that's rad so from there, I mean, it sounds like that opportunity and the way it came up with the overflow you described, is that something going ahead that you think will be a big part of getting more work? Uh, right now, I've gotten from my newest album doing really, really well and being mm. independent of games, that's opened up a lot of opportunities for me. Uh, but when I was first starting, overflow work was a big, big benefit for me. So whenever people had like extra stuff going on, as long as I was able to do it, I would say yes. I would like, especially magic stuff. I love making magic sound effects so much. Mm. Um, so I would always try to be available for those sorts of things. Um, and now I don't really work as much with overflow things. I I still like doing them whenever I have time, but my schedule has been pretty packed uh, ever since like. Uh, July. I've been pretty. Right. I've been really, really busy with crunching on three different, uh, three different games, and now I'm picking back up to do. Uh, I, I'm working on an animation right now, and um, two games. That's cool. It sounds like the best of both worlds in some ways because if you do the overflow for kind of a more established title like Divinity. That's, that looks really good on your resume, but yes. then you can work on something that you've got ownership over, like one of these indie games or mm-hmm. whatever it is that you might be working on for quite a long period of time. So that that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's uh, like Divinity was... Divinity challenged me in ways that I wasn't really used to, which is great. Um, mm. And I was it was a good learning experience for me, even from like only doing the, the audio edits that I was... Or the voice edits that I was... It was still a really good challenge, and uh, now moving on to other projects, it's been like, okay, I know where the bar is, so I need to make sure that I'm always at that level or surpassing to surpassing it in some respects. Sure. So you talked about the way that you would broaden your skill base by taking on new projects and mm-hmm. new... Uh, tasks that you didn't have experience in but do you have any background like formal in terms of training or anything like that or is it self-taught through your own interest in music i was originally uh i was originally a guitarist for many many years and i played a bunch of other instruments but none of them retained my interest as much as guitar Mm -hmm. so that was my biggest like piece of training and then i did do some college at musicians institute in Hollywood, California, but I dropped out because I wasn't learning enough, um, which is not a good decision. 
Uh, that's not responsible. Right. <laughs> Don't drop out of college, kids. Student loans are not fun. <laughs> um, but do you feel like finishing that would have been helpful to what you're doing now? I don't think so. I learned a right. lot, a lot in the very beginning of the program, and toward like the middle, there was a lot of things that I was like, eh, like a- after after a bit, like I I knew I didn't like Pro Tools, uh, <laughs> and so I don't I didn't want to deal with Avid. I didn't want to deal with Avid crashing every five seconds, and also like the headache that comes with that, and I knew enough about recording because I did it on my own and I was really only there for vocals, like to get, become a better singer. And I wasn't really like it. it, I didn't see much of a future being a heavy metal singer and the, my friends that were successful, um, like they were, they were touring with like corn and Lincoln park and a couple other band, like bigger bands at the time. And they were still, not doing as well financially as like you would think someone that was touring mm. with those people. Like uh, my friend Kalen, he was the background singer for Corn for all of their live shows, and still like whenever uh, whenever he wasn't touring, he was still like picking up really small gigs, doing like jingles for commercials. And I was like, right. how do you do, how do you go from those two things? Like that's not. That's not what I want to be. That's the life of a musician from the sounds of it. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not about doing like jingles for, for baby wipes. That's, I'm not. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, time to switch it up. And uh, that's around the time, like shortly after I was like, okay, I really like doing, doing music for games. Let's, let's start doing that. And then uh, I started really getting into, I've always been into electronic music, but from working with um, sound design tools like Serum, which is a uh, which is a synthesizer, a digital synthesizer, uh, I mean, I was using those for a lot of sound effects. I was like, I can make electronic music with this, and it would be rad. So <laughs> let's start doing that. And so I've been really getting into electronic music production hmm. uh, for just personal projects, and those have been doing really well. Yeah, and that was the, one of the things I was referring to at the top when I said that, you know, there's something you've been excited about lately, and that's the I Am Heaven project, which looks like the culmination of a couple of years of work, and that's been doing really well from what you've described. Yeah, so I Am Heaven was a project that I've been wanting to do for several years, and um, I worked on it for two over two years, Um and there's 12 songs in the album. The first song I wrote was one that I wrote while on an airplane. <laughs> and uh, that kind of like kicked everything off. I was like, okay, well, I have one song that in the bin. Let's, uh, let's get started. And two years later, we, I finally released it with uh, the help of four singers and a guest drummer on the project. <laughs> and... Like it was by far like the biggest learning experience musically that I've ever had because um, most of the people that know me as a composer know me specifically for orchestra. They know me because of my album Souls and Blood and um, it's... Which is your like Darks, was it Bloodborne music inspired music? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Bloodborne and Dark Souls inspired music, which I love those titles. Uh, If you've seen my Twitter, that's like easily like 60% of my tweets are like Bloodborne (laughs) and Dark Souls. But um, 
but I don't want to be like only doing those sorts of music styles. Sure. And I wasn't getting that sort of challenge from people. So I just kind of like make, made my own opportunity in that respect. I was like, I'm just going to make this. And if people like it, then cool. Mm. And uh, I partnered with um, four singers and um, it just through that alone, it made pretty much like everything a part of my life change because whenever it released in December, uh, that was my ninth album that I released uh, last year. Mm. And that one, after um, about a month, it had it broke 60,000 listens on Spotify in a month, which is oh. huge for me. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, I was really, really excited about that. And I was like, okay, well, if people like this from me, then... And I love making this. This kind of music is what makes me happy. So I'll still do whatever video games come at my way that are good opportunities. But I'm going to keep doing this electronic music stuff just for me because people seem to enjoy it and it makes me feel great to make. So let's keep going. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier that more opportunities had opened up because of this kind of stuff. So what uh, does that mean for you from a commercial perspective? Have you been kind of contracted to write music based on the success of, of that album? Kind of. Um I'm going to be doing some music for uh, for established games and brands uh, yeah. over the course of this year. So like promo music for different games that are like having like updates or um, a company that is releasing a new product um, later in the year. So like, can you mention what they are, or is that still? Can, under wraps? I can't mention them yet, but hopefully <laughs> you'll be seeing them soon. Okay. Um, I will say I've been, I've one of those contracts has me listening to a lot of K-pop, so life has been pretty interesting. Um, Persona. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, if I oh yeah. my god, if I, that was the case, I would die. I'd be so excited. That music is so good. Yeah, that would be so intimidating to be right? able to write the music for that game. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That'd be like someone telling me, Hey, you're going to make uh, new music for shadow of the Colossus. I'd be like, no hard pass. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I cannot do it. You can't improve. Oh, that's crazy. But no, that's cool. That's really cool. And I guess the financial side of it is, is what I'm interested in as well. Have yeah. you found that you've been able to get steady work or has it been because it's, I guess that artistic lifestyle you've had to kind of, cobble together work through different avenues to to keep things going at different points in time so i think uh last year was like was like there was like a lot there was times whenever there's like a big influx of money coming in and then there was other times whenever i didn't have any contracts at all and i'm like uh i wasn't necessarily like low but it was like there wasn't as much coming in as going out so it was a big mix of like the, the feast or famine sort of scenario. And mm. I, I had thankfully been working on enough things to kind of keep everything steady. But this year has been a big change because uh, we're reaching the end of January. I'm working on one of the coolest indie games that I've, like, I've been following for years. I'm working on that. 
uh, for to to assist with the technical side of sound design, so making it work in the game. Um, and then also I'm composing and doing the sound design for another game that's going to be showing at PAX East. And cool. um, like uh, I'm working on two, three new albums and a bunch of new singles. So there's like there's a lot of opportunities opened up at a crazy fast rate uh, just mm. from this one album. So it's been as far as like financially this year has already been like full of more uh, more lucrative opportunities than last year has had. Yeah, the I like the feast or famine analogy because it probably feels like sometimes you are sowing seeds that won't show fruit for a long time. Like yeah. something like that album that took two years to record, you put it up and you know it does really well, gets sixty thousand listens or whatever on mm-hmm. Spotify. But even that in itself, like as much as that's a success, that might not generate a lot of revenue and then it's later on that you get work because of that album and it's it comes that way for sure uh for context um 60, 000, uh listens on spotify is about uh give me one second i'll make sure to have the right numbers yeah. <laughs> 0.0035 is about 210 dollars right <laughs> so it's like one gig basically if you were still in the metal band yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> or so, like a, a weekend of gigs yeah yeah so um so like that's a big number not a big payoff but mm. at the same time like that's my my per month has like per month revenue from spotify has significantly gone up and um like and partnering with different brands that i have been i'm able to do the music that I want to make because they're obviously contracting me for that music, but also I get to retain the rights for streaming. So it's like, I've been able to position myself in a way that, um, I'm able to get money up front for, for gigs and also retain streaming rights. So like I get a short term, like I have to take like a little bit of a pay hit to have the streaming rights, but long term for this music, I'll be able to have consistent, like, um, by the end of this year, my projections are I'll probably be making about uh, eight hundred to nine hundred dollars a month passively, and right. that's that's that's, awesome. that's pretty much what I'm striving for with this. Is that in a year or two, I'll just be able to make the mu- like make music uh, full time that I want to make, and whenever. Uh, whenever I find something really, really interesting that I'm fond of, I can accept that as a as a new gig, um, and not have to go from like gig to gig, like the and deal with the feast or famine mentality. Yeah, sure. It sounds like in that initial period, you have to be the kind of person that's good with the finances, that knows that you know this might be the only money coming in for a while, mm-hmm. so I won't go and buy the new TV or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought a new piano last night <laughs> um, and it was like, uh, I went and I, I bought it and while I was like in the process of buying it, I, I was like, this is going to be like $700. What is there? Like, like how, how are my bills going right now? Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> proves it. Like you're the kind of person that thinks that way, which is why you've probably been successful and been able to weather that storm of like doubt yeah. and, you know, not uh, 
knowing where the next paychecks come from but it's yeah. pretty cool to see you've come out the other side and you can make a purchase like that without stressing too much yeah i was i was stressed uh, <laughs> like it was like one of the things where i was like okay i'm gonna spend 700 dollars on a piano but i'm definitely gonna eat like dollar menu mcdonald's afterwards yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you gotta justify it somehow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember doing that at uni, like I'd get like a parking fine. Like, I've only ever had one parking fine and I was like, that's it. I'm going to keep wearing these shoes for like another six months that I was <laughs> about to throw out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That, that, that was like, uh, that was actually just a compromise I was having for this piano. I was like, I really want to get new Under Armour shoes for the gym, <laughs> but also I want to be able to get a piano so I can make better music. That's great. So um, I want to ask something from the technical perspective, because you mentioned about before how you love to make uh, mm. magic sound effects. And I mentioned also my interest in like Foley design. So sure. what what goes into making a digital uh, sound like that? Because, I, you know, is there anything you can draw from aesthetically? So it depends on what kind of magic it is. Uh, if you are looking for like ice magic, then you're going to, go to like source material of like snow right. and ice shatters and the different ways that they're that they're used um kind of like so dragging ice crystals on the ground smashing an ice block um those sorts of source materials are realistically how everything starts and then we then i add like crazy effects to them a lot of times um for context for the thing i'm working on now for magic sound effects I would take like a wind gust sound and I would take, uh, have you ever heard of frequency shifting? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Tell me what it is first. <laughs> so basically you're shifting, uh, there's like pitch shifting and frequency yes. shifting. Uh, pitch shifting is just moving the octaves. Um, yep. frequency shifting is adding frequency to the sound. So there's a really good tutorial about how to make anime sound effects, which involves frequency shifting. I'll give you the link for that. It's there's a whole entire. It's uh, Marshall McGee who does that. Okay. But um, before I saw that, I did this thing where I would take reverb and I would attach huge reverb to like ordinary sounds, and then I would pitch shift it, and it makes it sound right. real crazy because the reverb isn't like a spatial effect. It's a it's a sound design effect, because whenever you add the pitch shifting to it, it removes a lot of the realistic qualities to it. And makes it something mm. else entirely. So for like magical auras and like shimmer sounds, that's kind of what I did. I would uh, like reverb the crap out of something, uh, pitch shift it, and uh, I would pitch shift it up and and down simultaneously within the same uh, software. I would mm. so there would be like a conflict in the actual software yeah, itself. It just ruin the original sound. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I would kind of like ride on that conflict to make something that sounds completely different than the source material. And yeah. then after that is in place, you have your initial like hum sound of, hey, this is magic, by the way. Then mm -hmm. you add your detail for the element base. So if it's like right. snow or ice, you'll have like shimmer sounds because it's similar in the aspect of glass. Right. And um, if it's fire, then you have your big flame whooshes and things like that. Okay, that's pretty cool. And those bass sounds, are they coming from like a stock effects company or You can, what? there's like, it's a mix of source material. So you can get like, um, there's a company called Boom that they make really good sound design libraries. 
and they have these things called construction kits. And I use the construction kits a lot, and they're just all source material sounds of like um, mm-hmm. just like ice being cracked, like cracked metal vases getting hit. So you hear that weird wobble sound, uh, flame getting moved around, uh, dry ice sizzling in water. Those sorts of things all are a part of like making those sounds. And you kind of like there's those source materials. Plus, I do my own field recording for other things. Oh, cool. So you're in the kitchen smashing plates and that kind of thing. Yeah. For, um, for I Am Heaven, one of the songs, it's called Tonight Is Ours. I made all of the percussion in my kitchen because uh, I didn't have a good drum kit at the time. I didn't have any like drum samples that I thought worked. So I was like, I'm just going to make some. So like the hi-hats were all me frying bacon and <laughs> uh, the drums were... Uh, using a stethoscope microphone, uh, I put it onto a watermelon, and I hit the watermelon with a uh, with like a foam tipped dr- uh, like drum uh, drumstick. So <laughs> it worked, which is great, but also like it was a very weird situation. <laughs> That's crazy. And like, was that just you wanting to know that the music had come from a weird place or did you actually think that was the best way to record those sounds? I was really broke at the time when I made it. It was yeah. a, uh, maybe can't I- you just like, can't you get actual hi-hats and bass drum sounds from online or from YouTube or something? I, I later found out that there was like free resources for those things that I could, yeah. I could get. But at the time I was like, I just want to have something and yeah. then, and and once I already had them in, I was like, I had to make these usable. I have to. <laughs> like, it makes for a good story. So, as much as it was like um, a really fun and silly situation that I put myself in, it it became like a no, I'm doing this <laughs> sort yeah, of thing. That is really cool. Okay, so I guess the next question I would have is, what was the hardest part of getting to this point? Because you've covered the trajectory how you got there but Mm -hmm. what was the most challenging part along the way um i think realistically like uh, imposter syndrome would be the hardest part Mm -hmm. and hardest part would be imposter syndrome and also knowing how you knowing how opportunity or how luck is created pretty much right um making your own luck yeah because like um Imposter syndrome is something I deal with constantly. Like working on a uh, pseudo K-pop song right now has been like the biggest piece of imposter syndrome I've ever faced because it's something entirely different than my normal skill set. So is it also because you've come from outside the industry and just made your own entry? Like you didn't go through a traditional path of studying game sound design and and like applying for internships at development studios. Yeah. I, it was like, I've always been the type of person that's like, whenever I took guitar lessons, I I literally told my guitar instructor, I don't want to learn how to cover songs. I want to learn how to make my own. And, uh, so that tells you how pretentious I was even even as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) So, so like, um, now learning, like working on K-pop, uh, stuff, I'm just like, how like am i not good at this like is that am i bad at my job and i'm just really good at fooling people like that's that's like the kind of stuff that i was dealing with for a while because this is it's been like the biggest challenge that i've ever faced because of how different and weird 
the structure is compared to my own. And um, that's been really valuable for me because within that situation, like of it being super difficult, I've been able to focus and improve and also collaborate with a bunch of my friends, which has been also really important because I want to do more collaboration. Um, so imposter syndrome has been like, uh, it's, it's always a constant, no matter how established you are in something, there's always going to be doubt whenever you face challenge, the new animations that I just did. Um, and I'm currently working on, I have never been challenged from a sound design perspective so hard in my entire life, uh, period. Like even as a beginner, I never felt this like this much difficulty in something than I was this like last week to the point where this weekend has been pretty much just like, I'm not going to work on music. I'm just going to relax because <laughs> my brain can't, my brain can't process it. So yeah. those sorts of things are, are like a constant. And those are, those are the things that facilitate growth as an artist. Yeah. I think that having imposter syndrome is fine as long as you recognize that everyone has it to an extent yeah. and it's kind of a normal part of being uh creative and, and having some success as well mm -hmm. i think and the other part that i had mentioned is just like uh making your own luck that's part part of it is just privilege in general um i'm mm. like i've had i've been fortunate enough to have money that i've been i've made from like knowing people in the haunted haunted house industry that I can rely on to work with, to like learn like the entire process of like learning how to make uh, music that fits games started out there. And it's cause I had that opportunity and um, like I was fortunate there. I was fortunate just to like be in the location that I am because there's lots of like, there's lots of opportunity where I am before that. And then I use that money that I made to go to things like GDC um, and PAX and I met other developers and whenever they needed me, I was the, I was already working toward being able to say yes to those opportunities because I had those skills ready. So it's like, uh, it's like privilege, prepar uh, preparation and opportunity is what equals luck. And right. I tried to always make sure that I was always I was always ready to say yes to an opportunity and that's kind of what brought me here now. Very good. Okay. So your advice to people who want to do what you've done, what's uh, the, the main thing that you seem to find yourself telling people? Um, first of all, if you're looking to like, don't think of one medium as your medium. Uh, you're not a games composer. You're a composer. You're not a game sound designer, you're a sound designer. Uh, learn every medium because every medium is going to have needs and every medium has different needs as far as how they're implemented. Mm -hmm. And make sure that whenever you, uh, whenever you have these skill sets that your, your reel reflects that. Like right now, my reel is a really atrocious mess. Like it hasn't been updated in three years. Uh, I had to fix that. So don't look at my reel as like a good example. Um, but right. I think that like be prepared, be open to discussion. And um, and not only that, like don't try to sell your product like or what you do to people. Ultimately, especially in games, people want to hire 
people that they like to be around, not people that might not necessarily be like the best person for the job. Um, because skills can grow. A personality usually is stuck in one place for a while. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> You'd rather be working with your friend than someone that's uh, quite a bit more talented, but terrible to, to relate to and to, to work with. Yeah, if if you're not a good person, then you're and you're not good to work with, then the developer isn't going to want to work with you, no matter if you're like the best in the business. That's it. All right. So my last question before we wrap up is, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? I it's something that I've been planning for a really long time, and that's just like I want to try to do touring. If I did wasn't like afraid to fail, uh, I would mm-hmm. start a tour immediately. <laughs> With the album that you've, you've put out last year? Yeah, with uh, I Am Heaven and also the stuff that I'm working on now. Because the stuff I'm working on now is really like uh, live performance friendly. So cool. I'm working really hard to to make that risk a possibility that to be successful. That's rad. That would be pretty cool to take something that's electronic and I don't know, would you recreate it the same way or would you play it more with a metal slant? I would, I would probably start, I'm doing a lot more of like combination of like orchestra with electronic music. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of that. And I think that's the, where I'm going to stay. I really feel most comfortable there. So okay. I think the performance wise is going to be me, a combination of like my DJ board along with my piano and um, the singers that I'm working with, hopefully. Hopefully we can see that coming out later this year. I guess uh, it's uh, something for you to have at the back of your mind as you're toiling away at so many other things that are probably taking more immediate attention from you. Well, this week coming up is going to be all working on music. So pretty much my, uh, the rest of pretty much all of February is going to be a big music month for me because I have to push out um, a new single to come out in um, April plus an album that has to be prepared in June. So, yeah. So it's going to be a big month for for me. Yeah, I think this will probably come out in March sometime. So you will okay. just have come through that heavy month, but hopefully it went well. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thanks again for coming on the show, Mark. It's been really cool. And I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope people have enjoyed hearing your perspective from the inside of the walls of sound. Yeah. Thanks for having me on here, man. It was a lot of fun to talk to you about it. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Audio Technica. You can catch Mark on Twitter at Mark Strait. That's Mark with a C. And all of his music and projects over at MarkStrait.com. If you'd like to support this show, first of all, thank you. And secondly, please leave an iTunes review and rating. It goes a long way to helping get the word out there. Tell your friends, tell your loved ones. And of course, the best way to support this show and the rest of the talented individuals in the 8-Bit Collective is over at patreon.com slash weare8bit. Show your love for as little as $1 a month, getting a whole lot of goodies in return and helping the collective grow. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.